Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us here on the Highway Community Podcast. It's great to have you with us wherever you are listening to this from and whenever it is that you're tuning in. Uh, We're glad to have you with us as we continue in our teaching series called Stories of Transformation, uh, where we've been looking at how God uses story to shape us. And throughout this series, our staff have been sharing a personal story of ours with you, our church community, as we're getting to know one another again after just looking at each other through computer screens for the last year and a half, as well as to share and to testify to the work that God has been doing in our own lives. We've also taken a few breaks here and there to consider stories that Jesus told, Three parables that contain invitations for us to encounter the real and active and alive transforming power of the risen Jesus Christ in our everyday moments. And Richie took us through our final parable last week with a powerful message on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And this morning we hop back into our staff stories as we get to hear from Julie Peterson, our formation pastor. Julie and her husband, Ted, started attending Community Bible Church, the church which meets at our Miramonte campus, uh, before it became Highway Mountain View, not long after they got married. Their daughters, Dina and Melody, were just three and five years old when she joined our staff team 14 years ago. And now, Julie and Ted are just a year away from being empty nesters. A fun fact that you might not know about Julie is that she's the fastest jet skier in the Peterson household. I have lots of questions about how that was determined. And this says a lot when you consider that she lives with two teenagers who, in her words, are pretty adventurous and gutsy. Ted's no slouch either. Julie will mention the Book of Ruth today. And it's important that you know that she was instrumental in bringing our series on the book of Ruth that we did just a few months ago together. She was captivated by the way that God used hesed, the Hebrew word for faithful, loyal love, to redeem and restore such awful circumstances. And I think that's in part because that same kind of love is wired into her as a part of who she is. To know Julie is to know she embodies God's faithful and loyal love in her ministry, in her family, and in her community. I'm excited for the chance for us to get to know her better today and to hear what invitation God might have for us as she shares her story. Thank you so much, David. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much for being here. It is a real honor to share my story with you today. I was born and raised in El Centro, California, an agricultural town about 12 miles north of the Mexican border, where the sun spends the winter, as the City Chamber of Commerce would tell you. In fact, the forecast for today is 108 degrees, and you know, I think they're right. El Centro was a pretty small city back in my day with a population of about 20,000 people. Everyone knew everyone. And as a teen, you dared not ditch school because there was a pretty tight circle between the person who saw you out with your friends while school was in session and a call to your mom. But that's a story for another day. In Spanish, El Centro means the center. And if you ask the locals what it's at the center of, many would say, It's at the center of nowhere. 
The fact is, it's not easy to get to El Centro. It's really isolated, and you have to drive through miles of desert to get to it from any direction. And I'm pretty sure that's a big contributing factor to the ethnic makeup of my hometown, which is largely white and Hispanic. My grandfather on my dad's side found his way to El Centro by working the railroads and never left. And my dad was born there and never left. And I spent the first 19 years of my life there before I left. While this is not a real stat, growing up, I felt like my family was one of just a few Chinese families and really one of just a few Asian families in town. That said, we were the only Asian family at the church I grew up in, aside from one family who was there for a few years before they moved. The reality is that this was pretty reflective of the demographic mix in sunny El Centro, the city in the middle of nowhere where everyone knew everyone. How I wish this beautiful and unique identity marker would have been a point of pride for me then. But I think that for a lot of kids, or at least for me anyways, being different was just really hard. And I'll say that as an Asian girl, and then an Asian adolescent, and then an Asian young woman, that while living in this little border town, I just felt really different. And in reflection, I realized that I spent a bunch of my formative years trying not to be different. I tried to dress like other people, talk like other people. I spent hours staring at myself in the mirror and wishing that I looked like other people. Other white people, to be specific. I resisted learning Chinese, both spoken and written, and had little interest in so many of the traditions of my ancestors because it all just seemed so different from what was largely around me, which, of course, it was. But back then, and this is an oversimplification, but back then, different for me equaled bad. And being on the receiving end of racial epithets and having people talk gibberish to me as a way of mocking the language of my ancestors and the like, well, none of that helped. For so many of my formative years, even though everyone in this little town knew who I was, I didn't really feel known. And the biggest reason for that, I think, is that I didn't really know who I was. Turn the page to my college years. After a year at a local junior college, I transferred to a large public university on California's central coast. While I was there, I was invited to be a part of something new. A few students were looking to launch an Asian interest sorority, and they were looking for founding members. The idea was to form a community which would promote cultural awareness and educate others about Asian culture, along with some other really cool things. After some thought, I figured this would be a great way to rediscover, or more accurately said, to discover myself through the lens of my racial roots. And so I threw down. Maybe while being a part of a group which educated others about Asian culture. Well, maybe through that, I'd learn about it myself, and I'd learn something about myself. 
I'd be a part of 19 Asian American women who were all awesome and inclusive and possessed a beautiful heart for diversity. So here I was, a part of this really wonderful organization with these really wonderful people. Everyone was warm and thoughtful and intentional, and I got to contribute to the sorority in life-giving ways. And yet, by no fault of this community, in one respect, I felt like the odd person out. I had this deep sense that everyone else was in a different and more advanced place than me in understanding their culture and being confident in their skin. And so, even though I was surrounded by people who looked like me, I still felt like an outsider. So I didn't feel white enough before, and now, of all things, I didn't feel Asian enough. I was sort of feeling like I was out in no man's land and alone in my thoughts and experiences. In the coming years, with a few notable exceptions, I really didn't spend a lot of time thinking about my racial identity for reasons I'm certain I haven't spent enough time processing. But all of that changed on March 16th, 2021, when eight people were murdered in Atlanta, Georgia, six of whom were women of Asian descent. It shook me to my core, compounding the horror of this tragic and senseless loss of life was the fact that six of the victims were in two of my own demographic categories, female and Asian. I immediately identified with the victims and their families, and this feeling would deepen over the coming days as details about the victims unfolded in social media and news outlets, their names, their pictures, their precious and unfinished personal stories. I saw myself in them. I saw my sister in them. I saw my mom in them. I mourned so deeply for these people. Four days after the shootings, God met me in the most surprising way. I'm reading the Bible over the course of this year using a reading plan from the Bible Project. And... As it turned out, on this day, I was to read the book of Ruth, this incredibly touching Old Testament story which emerges out of chaos and tragedy, a story about a woman who lost her husband and sons, and a daughter-in-law who wouldn't leave her for anything. Ruth would make Naomi's God her God. She'd make Naomi's community her community. She'd make Naomi's problems her problems. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, tells us that the word of God is alive and active. And I'll tell you, the words of God leapt off the pages for me that night. In this moment, with all I was experiencing and processing, reading the story was, for me, an incredible picture of solidarity, a deep, meaningful companioning with someone and aligning with that person in their struggle. God used this reading to reveal to me that as I wept over this tragedy, he wept with me. And that as I mourned the loss of my Asian sisters, he mourned the loss of his beloved children whom he made in his image. 
and that he'd remain by my side as I processed the complex emotions I was experiencing as I began to realize that somehow, in ways that were largely unnoticeable to me, that somehow, over the course of all these years, I'd come to meaningfully identify with the Asian community. I had an emotional alignment that I didn't have with this community when I was younger. And then God sent me community. In the coming days and weeks, I was blessed to be a part of check-ins via text and phone and Zoom from friends and neighbors and church family and biological family, people in my life who are white, brown, and black, who are processing the murders with heaviness as well. Through those check-ins, I received the gift of solidarity from others. People mourned with me. They processed and prayed with me. They sent me pictures of themselves attending rallies in support of the Asian American Pacific Islander community. They were heartbroken with me. They listened to me closely and deeply and generously. The Apostle Paul instructs Christ followers in the region of Galatia to carry one another's burdens. The Greek term Paul uses here gets at something excessively heavy or extreme in weight. The community that God surrounded me with carried something really heavy with me. And I was blessed to have the honor of carrying heaviness with them. Some of the Asian people I spoke with allowed me to sit with them in their own personal race-related heaviness and complexity some of which mirrored my own in ways that astonished me. I resonated with so much of what I heard in their stories. And something that made sense in my head became real in my heart. It became real to me that I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only one who had moments of not feeling white enough and or Asian enough. I wasn't the only one with painful memories of being stereotyped and being made fun of as an Asian American. I wasn't in no man's land. I wasn't alone. And I wouldn't be alone. Through the blessing of receiving and the honor of extending the gift of solidarity with people of all colors, I got to experience the beautiful act of solidarity that moved me so deeply in the story of Ruth. Something that stands out to me from the account in the book of Ruth is how little God is mentioned and how much his providential hand is seen. There are strings of quote-unquote coincidences that are clearly not coincidences, especially when stepping back and looking at the bigger picture after the fact. It just so happened that Ruth was gathering food in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happened to be related to her mother-in-law. And it just so happened that Ruth and Boaz would marry, and that this marriage would be written onto the pages of the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It just so happened. In preparing to share my story with you, As I was collecting my thoughts and sorting through memories tucked deep, deep away, 
I was just so struck by the evidence of God's providential and gracious hand at work in my racial identity journey. It just so happened that I had a loving, Christ-centered family who was patient with what must have seemed like random outbursts when I came home frustrated after being teased at school. It just so happened that I was surrounded with genuine and enduring intergenerational friendships in both my church and my neighborhood, which would be a refuge for me as I grew up as a minority in my little city of El Centro. It just so happened that of the three colleges I applied to, only one accepted me. And it just so happened that at this one college, during the three years that I was there, the founding chapter of a wonderful organization would be established, and through it, that I'd have a safe and necessary space to learn about the culture of my ancestors and learn a bit about myself. It just so happened that the aftermath of a tragic event would unlock conversations about my race with friends and family something we rarely, if ever, talked about. And that in those conversations, I'd come to realize in a meaningful way that I wasn't alone in so many of my experiences and feelings as an Asian American. And it just so happened that God brought me to the story found in the book of Ruth at exactly the right time to convey exactly what I needed to hear in that moment, that he is with me and that he is for me through thick and especially through thin. I am so moved that the gracious and sovereign God who authored stories of redemption out of chaos thousands of years ago is the same gracious and sovereign God who's going about his work of redemption in very much the same way in my own life today. So often... I think it can be really easy to miss seeing this redemptive work while it's happening in the moment. But taking pause and zooming out can often be so revealing. And as I pause and take a step back and reflect on my journey as an Asian American, I realize that in so many moments in my life, I didn't see what God was doing in and around me to help me embrace who I am and who he made me to be. And I'm sure I only see a small fraction of that redemptive work today. But church family, by God's grace, an active presence in my life, I know that I've come to learn a lot about and better embrace who I am over these many years. I am proud to be an Asian American. I'm proud to be a Chinese woman. And I am proud to be a work in progress, fully known and fully beloved in Christ. I thank you so much for the gift of sharing your story, Julie. Highway family, as we receive that gift, and as we reflect on God's work in the lives of others, may we be faithful to whatever it is that the Spirit is stirring inside of us, or whether that's being encouraged, convicted, challenged, or something else. 
May we be attuned to the invitation to transformation that God has for us as we consider Julie's story. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, may it shape the stories that God is writing in and through us today. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the ways that you are at work all the time. God, we thank you for the ways that your faithful love follows us wherever we go. God, would you continue to form us into a community and a people who sees it? God, and would you continue to form us into a people and into a community who extend your chesed, your faithful and loyal love into the world around us? We love you. We pray these things in and for your name. Amen. Amen.